for me, getting back out there means sprucing up my date night wardrobe. But I don't necessarily want to have a lot of extra stuff to hang on to. That's why I was happy to find out about Armoire. It's a clothing rental service, and it really takes away the stress about what to wear. For a monthly fee, members get access to high-quality designer clothing for any occasion. Just take a five-minute style quiz to get suggestions, and then pick what you want. The clothes arrive in as little as two days. One of the items I chose is a green v-neck wrap dress that works for both business and pleasure. And here's one thing I really love. Armoire is women-founded and women-led. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash gray. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash gray to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women of all ages and all stages of menopause. And it's become a phenomenon. I hear that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony is by Happy Mammoth, the company dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients like herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to stressors, including hormonal changes that naturally occur throughout a woman's lifetime. They can help alleviate hot flashes, night sweats, and that feeling of being tired all the time. The biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in the more than 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code DATINGWALLGRAY at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code DATINGWALLGRAY for 15% off today. Hey, it's Laura. Wow, we are halfway through season two. From where I sit, you really seem to be enjoying the show. Our listener downloads look great, and our subscriber numbers have grown. Are you not subscribed? That's a risky little game you're playing there. Following Dating While Gray is the only way to make sure you never miss when a new episode drops. And we have so much more good stuff for you this season. In fact, my team and I are hard at work producing new shows. So today we have a special treat for you. You may have heard that Dating While Gray is now produced by North Carolina Public Radio. Well, that station has a great portfolio of podcasts that I highly recommend you have a listen to. Check them out at wunc.org. I feel a real kinship to one of those podcasts in particular. It's called Embodied, hosted by a curious colleague of mine, Anita Rao. She's nowhere near gray, but she has a lot of questions about sex, relationships, and health, just like me. Soon Embodied will be out with a second season, but here's one of my favorite episodes from the first season of the show, all about aging and intimacy. And you'll hear a familiar voice in this one, too. Have a listen. I hope you enjoy Embodied. I personally didn't spend a lot of time around very old folks growing up. I had three living grandparents for most of my childhood, but they all lived overseas. We'd travel to see them occasionally, but I never had that day-to-day closeness with seniors that some of my friends experienced. Weekends visiting older relatives or calling up a grandparent on a whim to catch up on life. When my grandfather passed away last year at the age of 83, 
He and my grandmother had been married for 53 years. Seven kids, 20 grandkids, and eight great-grandkids later, they had weathered a lot in their relationship. Some of which I knew, a lot of which I didn't. My grandmother has been having a really hard time in the wake of my grandfather's death. Even though they never had a lovey-dovey kind of relationship, it's clear how much their partnership fueled her life, especially in their later years. The weight of her grief is taking a massive toll on her mind and her body. And it's forced me to sit with a lot of big thoughts about aging, relationships, and intimacy throughout the stages of our life. How do our aging bodies shape how we navigate our relationships? What does it look like to date, love, and have sex again when it's been years with the same partner? This is Embodied. I'm Anita Rao. Even though it's been mine for a couple of decades now, on a lot of levels, I'm still getting to know my body. I also know that my body is going to keep changing as I age, inside and out, and probably in some ways that I'd never guess. As body and sex positive as I like to think that I am, I'll admit that I'm worried. What will turning 50, 60, 70 do to my sexual desire, my comfort with and confidence in my own appearance, and my ability to welcome new relationships into my life? We're taught to respect our elders, so it's only with deepest respect that I introduce you to Omi Shade Bernie Scott. I turned 52 years ago, and I have two sons, one 27 and one 10. And my 10-year-old, um, then at eight, said to me, you know you're a half century old. <laughs> and I said, hmm, this is true. Omi Shade is the creator of a podcast called The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. The show's title itself is pretty self-explanatory, but Omi Shade has enough candor and curiosity about her journey through her 50s to spare. So I asked her to describe some of the ways aging has affected her mind, body, and spirit. Looking at your body, inhabiting your body, um, there's so many things that are happening. I feel like this is like a second puberty. I remember all of the anticipation when I was 12 to getting my first cycle, to having enough breasts to actually wear a bra. It was so much. And there were all, all kinds of conversations. Everybody was constantly talking to you about, this is what you should prepare for. This is so exciting. Are you ready? Like, we read, Are You Their Goddess Me, Margaret? Like, all the time. And when I started in perimenopausal kind of phase of life, no one was having conversations with me. And unfortunately, at that time, my mother was already deceased. And so I couldn't like tap into her and say, hey, mommy, I'm pregnant and I'm 41. And I'm also like going through some other things. Is this what I should expect, right? And so here I am now, 52, and I still want to have those conversations around this kind of I don't know, mix of self-consciousness and self-awareness. Yeah, Yeah, you want to have these conversations because it's something you feel like that isn't being talked about and you're experiencing something so specific in your body that you haven't before. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through what's actually happening in your physical body, how Mm -hmm. how it feels, Mm -hmm. what you've noticed? Well, I say for me, and this is specifically for me because there's no kind of like homogeneity around what people are experiencing in terms of menopause because we're all different and wired differently. Um, For me, my experiences um, have been around weight fluctuation I have four different sizes in my closet. Not pleased about that. 
and I can at any given time, like this is the day I can wear these jeans. This is the day where those jeans are like, not today, darling. It's not going to happen. Um, sleeplessness has been a thing. I feel like insomnia is actually my girlfriend. She sits on the side of my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and goes, hey, remember all that stuff you were supposed to do today that you didn't get done? Let's talk about it. Right? <laughs> She's a constant companion. I also feel like I'm already an emotional, passionate person. And my experience with menopause is like that's been heightened where I can listen to a song in the car and then I just burst into tears. Or if I see something really sweet or I see a a kid, I'm like, oh, they're so sweet. And then I burst into tears. I also am experiencing anger. Hmm. And anger is not something that I feel um, that I can be honest about experiencing, especially given the stereotypes and tropes about angry black women. It's very hard for me to negotiate publicly when I feel angry. And so I need safe and sacred spaces where I can express that anger and not feel judged. It's interesting because there are certain stories about our bodies that we associate with various periods of our life. And mm-hmm. I think puberty, we say, oh, we are changing. Our bodies are supposed to change. But it seems like there's almost this story that you've inherited that mm-hmm. your body shouldn't be changing anymore. Mm-hmm. And it is. And that is challenging to deal with. I think it's um, so it's societal and it's also cultural. Right. So your body's changing and change is a shameful thing because it's associated with aging. Right. So we live in a society that values youthfulness, thinness, whiteness, straightness. Black women are definitely not on on the top of the list of things that we people would or people would consider valuable. So when you are going through changes where your hair looks different, your body looks different, your emotions are different, it's a very hard thing to negotiate in a public space because you're already battling against stereotypes and tropes. You are trying to start conversations with other women, and you've had a number of them so far. Mm -hmm. What are the most profound things that you've heard about how women are navigating uh, this changing period of their body? Yeah, so I started the podcast out of a a need to have conversations with folk just to kind of ground truth my experience. I didn't want to think that I was the only person going through these things. And so I reached out to folk who were in my peer group. Um, but I also wanted to talk to older black women, like who were significantly older than me, 20, 30 years older than me. And the first thing that struck me was the resounding enthusiasm to have the conversation. I was like, hey, you want to talk about menopause? They're like, oh, my God, yes. I'm like, really? OK, great. He's like, do you want to talk about sex? They were like, oh. Do you want to talk about intimacy and romance and change and risk? And they were like, yes, yes, yes. And so I think the the invitation to the conversation was first for me a very selfish place. I, I needed it. And then the emphatic yes was like, oh, this is a thing. This is not just what Omi's experiencing. This is actually a cultural experience that is kind of cloistered and kept away from folk. I'd be remiss if I didn't take a moment to acknowledge the medium where Omi Shade is having these important conversations. It's the same one you're listening to right now. People over the age of 55 are way underrepresented in podcast listenership. Most audience studies show they make up somewhere around 20% of average monthly listeners overall. But Omi Shade and others are finding success making connections with older adults through explorations of sex, love, and relationships in this space. Laura Stasi is the host and creator of the podcast Dating While Gray. I had started writing about Dating While Gray when I went through my own divorce, um, only because, not that I thought, oh, this would be a great creative project, but because I really did not know 
how to date. I got married very young, um, stayed married, um, and then the divorce, even though I you know, should have seen it coming, it was really kind of unexpected that, okay, now what? Because my kids had just launched. And not that I needed to have a partner. I do want it to be clear. I do feel like it's important for everyone to learn how to be by themselves um, financially, emotionally, you know, it's very important. But at the same time, I did realize that I want to find a romantic partner. And I had no idea how to do that. Um, you hear about online dating. And I've tried it. And I've talked to people who have had success with it and people who haven't. And I've talked to professionals about how to, you know, work the system. It just seemed like there had to be something more or something better or something bigger. And so I just started talking to people. And my original focus was people 50 and older, no matter if they had been married for a long time or never married or widowed, how did they meet their next partner? And whether that partner was someone they dated just for three months or, you know, for the rest of their lives. People have been so vulnerable Everybody wants to share. They might not necessarily want you to know their name or where they live, but they want to tell their stories because we've all been in this position. You know, we've all been looking. It's just like we're looking for hope. We're looking for inspiration. We're looking for answers. And so I tell everybody, I am no expert. I am the information gatherer. I don't I don't want it to make it sound simple because I know it's it is difficult, but I, if there is a way just to kind of relax, I, this is life. Like what Sophie Burnham said, she said, you know, if you're not coupled right now, but you want to be, enjoy this time particularly because there will come a time when you're not free to do whatever you want whenever you want. I love that older women are finding new ways to lead and have these discussions with each other. And don't think us youngs aren't paying attention. That's because we're always looking for as much factual information as possible. The biggest cultural myth is that it's not acceptable, it's not exciting, it doesn't work well as you age and somehow you should pack it up at age 60 and, you know, concentrate on being somebody's grandmother or somebody's um, knitting partner. Facts, not fiction, is what Professor Pepper Schwartz concentrates on also. She's a sociologist and sexologist who teaches at the University of Washington. Pepper is also a relationships expert who consults on the Lifetime Reality series Married at First Sight. She says that perhaps aging does come with some limitations, but it's just a new chapter, not the end. That's pretty much the way previous generations conceived of it. But it's changed, um, particularly in the baby boom generation, which has sort of been leading the charge of, I would call, constructive narcissism, which is to say, love yourself and treat yourself as somebody lovable and figure it out about how you want to be in the world. But the world fights back. The world gives you only pictures of, you know, 15-year-olds who are supposed to be 25-year-olds and 25-year-olds who are supposed to be 40-year-olds in the pictures and in the movies. And so, in a sense, we have to create new meaning and new vision in the way the baby boomers have done, you know, all through their lives. It's hard because, you know, as much as we can ideologically believe that, you know, beauty is variable and all kinds of beauty can make us desirable, we have to go against years of how the society sees it. And it's, it's tough to love yourself that way, but it's not impossible, and people do. So there's this interesting study that came out in 2018 that I know you've spoken about before about online dating, and it concluded that while men's sexual desirability peaks at age 50, 
women starts high at 18 and falls from there. So can you talk about the statistic and, and maybe from your work on the algorithm design side of things on the online dating world, what you've learned about um, what older folks are looking for when they're online and how that's shaped by some of these uh, statistics? Well, first of all, you know, dump those statistics um, <laughs> because, you know, somebody answered that on you know, some kind of questionnaire, or they have other studies where they look at pictures, and yes, you know, you're going to look at all kinds of features differently when you're just going picture after picture, but or, or question after question. But if you're in with persons, real people, then it becomes highly variable about how exciting and desirable you are. You know, I know plenty of people who have the right mix of things that they need to present themselves, and they stay desirable into their 90s. I have lots and lots of anecdotes like that. So I really feel like you could depress the hell out of yourself if you just think that these things are stuck in concrete and that you have no power over them. You know, what I think it is is there's a lack of, one of your earlier commentators eloquently put about how everybody prepares you for puberty but not for your aging body and your aging self. I really think that that's what we need. We need a lot more coaching about how to do this because it's doable, but we need help and we don't get any help. It's one of the other ways that society offloads its older people as if, well, if you're not going to be fertile, we're just not going to be interested in you. If I want an educated glimpse into just how I might age, I have a pair of people I can study closely, my parents. But I wondered how much they talk to each other about getting older, and what about that process has had the biggest impact on their relationship? Mom was very clear about what it was for her. Oh yeah, menopause is difficult, very difficult. I had a lot of hot flashes and a lot of emotional ups and downs in menopause. It's really a tough time. People, I think, downplay it. You lose your um, estrogen. So just like basic things like you get, you become much more hairy. Like I have to go get my face waxed because I I like have dark hair on my face. It's kind of not very nice. That is a problem. Um, What else with my body? Some rolls around the middle, but not too bad. (laughs) Um, you want to know more, like, specifics? Like, yeah, definitely diminish libido. You don't have an interest in sex like you would have when you're younger because you're really your hormones are all gone. As you were going through it, did you talk about it with anyone? Like, did you process what was going on? Um, I talked to my OB a little bit, and I think I got quite down and was, like, fairly depressed, and I thought I would help at that point, and you know, talk to dad and told him how I was feeling. He has been really quite good and supportive. Dad, how about for you? Do you have any fears about how aging will impact your romantic relationship moving forward? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, um, I mean, it is important to accept that uh, as we age, um, you know, companionship and romanticism will also change. And it, you become more friends and more companionship and less of uh, romanticism. I think that's, that's a natural process of aging and growing up with partners. 
But um, I think the point that mom made earlier on about the menopause, I think that was probably one of the most challenging times in our lives, I think particularly for her, starting from about 2012, and I would say all the way till about 2017, I think those five years, or even 2018, I think five five years were really the most challenging. It was very difficult um, to many times understand. Uh, she would be very short-tempered. She would cry a lot, uh, sometimes for small, petty things, and which we couldn't fully understand. We, uh, our relationship, became very challenged. And that was probably the only time where she, for at least uh, three years in a row, uh, she would say, I want to go and uh, live in the Himalayas. <laughs> you want to live I'm in like, the Himalayas? I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah. I just want to get out of this life. I want to go to the Himalayas. I just don't want to deal with my problems. Um, it was horrible. Um, yeah, it was really difficult. I mean, looking back now, I can, I'm just sitting laughing and smiling, but when you're going through it, it's horrible. If she ever decides to go to the Himalayas and think that that's what is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, at that time, I'd be like, I used to say, I hate guys because, you know, they just are the same. You know, they don't have any fluctuations. And it would just really annoy me. My dad would just be just so rock steady. um, And I'd be just all over the map. I've come through that, thank goodness. But you can see how that would just have so many problems in your relationship if you don't, if someone doesn't understand. Yeah. It's not just something that's going to go on for a month. It, it's like a couple of years, right? I think it is important. That has a major bearing in people's lives. And I think more people should talk about this and more people should, you know, find solutions of how to cope with it and how to recognize that this is a passing phase of life but you know with patience perseverance and love i think one can overcome it there's a series running on netflix now called girlfriends it's an old show that follows an old model four young single women navigating love and relationships in the big city In the case of Girlfriends, the big city was L.A. And even though elements of the show are formulaic, it's downright brilliant. Girlfriends premiered in the year 2000. So some people are watching through a nostalgic lens, while others are discovering these characters for the first time. In season one, there's an episode where all the girlfriends try to find partners through a medium that was taboo at the time, online dating. There are countless jokes about desperate measures and meeting serial killers in the plot. Again, this is the early aughts, and there was actually shame in searching for love on the internet. That shame persists with a population that's just not as comfortable developing relationships with a digital assist. The good news is I had girlfriends who were single and had been dating a long time, and they were telling me about all the dating sites and ways, new ways to meet people, and so... As soon as I, um, I was single, I immediately was on dating sites. Ellen Ashley was married for 25 years. After her divorce, she turned to tech that wasn't even widely available the last time she was single. She explored her app options, made a profile, and... And I was on Match, and I tried Tinder, and I tried um, OkCupid. 
And so, you know, Tinder is the scary one for everybody because they say it's a hookup site. And, of course, my friend Judy in Boston, who's in the Northeast, she says, oh, my gosh, that's the best one. But it's not a hookup <laughs> site. But honestly, there, you know, you put no personal information into Tinder except a photo pretty much. So, yeah, it's a hookup site pretty much. Being married for so long actually helped Ellen focus on exactly what she wanted in a partner when she started to date again. This marriage had been sort of losing intimacy really over the last 10 years of it. So when I left that marriage, I was so ready again for intimacy. What were some of your fears uh, as you left that relationship as a woman who was now 60? Um, I guess the biggest thing was when you are coming out of a marriage when there was very little intimacy, I didn't feel beautiful or desirable anymore. And so dating was scary because, well, for so many reasons. For I hadn't been dating for 26 years or more. Well, what, what was but, it like uh, to, to build a profile of yourself as someone who hadn't been in the dating world for 20-some years to now kind of create this online persona for other people to see? What was that like for you? Um, it was a challenge. You know, I redid my profile several times. Um, I found that you really do need professional photos. And because the first thing, especially for guys, sorry, but I mean, they're very visually oriented. They don't really care if you're the best cook, the best dancer, that, you know, all this. You know, if you don't look good to them, they're not even going to reply to you on a, on a match dating site. So photos are very important. But I, what I did find was that um, at least Match and OkCupid okay walk you through a lot of questions so that you know kind of what people look for. They want to know if you've got kids, if you're retired yet, or if you, what kind of hobbies you have. Are you politically liberal or conservative and so forth? So you get a pretty good profile just filling out those questions. So you hadn't uh, experienced intimacy or sexual intimacy, I guess, in, in a particular way for a long time. What was it like to renegotiate that once you were out in the dating world again? It was a huge challenge. <laughs> I mean, physically, I went to my gynecologist and said, I need help just physically getting things working again, you know, uh, because, you know, your body atrophies when you don't exercise. Well, guess what? Your, your, your other parts of your body atrophy, too. So, um, so there was that. Yeah. And then you were really careful who you were meeting up with, because if you weren't with a very, very considerate man or woman, you know, that it wasn't going to be fun for you anyway. And as I mean, so, as a marriage ends, you're obviously you were interested in, in dating again and rebuilding that part of your life. But you also spent a lot of energy rebuilding other parts of your life um, and other friendships and other kind of intimate bonds. Can you talk a bit about that and what your experience has been in kind of expanding the, the range of relationships that you have? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, one thing you find when you're married, the people you hang out with are all married, too. And when they have a dinner party, it's all couples if you're married. And when you're suddenly single, I found that my married friends weren't, like, inviting me to dinner parties anymore, right? So I was I was finding out where how to be single again. And I discovered meetup groups, which are absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's an online app, meetup, and there are meetups for people over 40 and people over 50. And there's the 
book groups and there are wine lover groups and everything. And so so I joined a couple of these and found that it was they were so welcoming. Not everybody was single, but but by far ninety five percent I would say are. And so it was cool when they would have an event to go to, like a, you know, an evening of music. You know, you could just you know, check the box said, Yes, I'm going too and when you show up, your people are there. Right. So you don't feel like alone, even though you're going out alone, you're not alone when you get there. And it was so wonderful to have that. So it really filled that social void in my life at the time. And it still does. Pepper Schwartz, the sexologist sociologist we heard from earlier, also used the setting of a dinner party to illustrate something about aging and intimacy for me. This was a real one she was invited to. Also invited was a 90-year-old woman and the man she was dating, a guy in his 80s. And this friend of mine, who's pretty brusque, said, do you guys have sex? And the woman in her 90s looked at um, my friend and said, of course. Now, I don't know what the realities here are, but what does sex mean? Does it necessarily mean that you've got some kind of two-hour marathon? (laughs) Not that many people get that when they're 25, much less when they're 85. But does it mean that people can, in fact, figure out ways to sexually please each other, um, have orgasms, feel sexually fulfilled, all the way through the life cycle? Yes, they can. Can they necessarily do it the way they did it? 50 years ago? No. But if they, ageism doesn't stop them from being innovative, if they don't feel defeated because they don't have a hard enough erections or they need artificial lubricant, etc., if they don't let that stop them, then there's no reason they can't continue on throughout the life cycle being fully sexual and intimate people. If you don't believe Pepper Schwartz, let me leave you with some encouraging final thoughts from Ellen Ashley, whose online pursuits had paid off when we talked. I had a, I dated a lot before I met this new gentleman who is absolutely wonderful. I met him about six months ago. But before I met him, I had dated, I had met, okay, close your ears, Barrett, 35 people face to face. That's after I'd kind of screened them online and like eliminated several. There were a lot of one dates, right? And so um, I had kind of almost given up hope of finding one, and I was becoming more and more happy just going out and being with my meetup group and, and dating occasionally and stuff. And then I met this gentleman, and he is, uh, as a girlfriend says, Ellen, you could not have designed a better man. We have so much in common. We have, um, he, he's learning to dance with me. He joined my jazzercise group. He cuts my grass. I'll get out of the shower when he comes over and he's cutting my grass while I'm getting ready. I mean, um, I am telling you that life can be fabulous in the 60s. And if you need more encouragement, my mother, who is now 93, she assured me that desire does not end at 90. Thanks to Anita Rao and the production team at Embodied for sharing that great episode with us. There's more about that show and all of WUNC's podcasts, including Dating While Gray, at WUNC.org. I'm Laura Stasi, back soon with more new episodes from our new season. Thanks for listening.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.